Good morning. Well, we're in Genesis 39. Actually, the title will be 39 and 40, but don't worry, we're not going to try and go through the whole thing this morning. We're going to get through part of it. So before I do, but I want to just say I'm really thankful that as of this morning, there's 115 people that are praying for our nation morning, noon, and evening at 9, noon, and 3. And I am so thankful for that. It's grown. And if you are not on that, it's the 40 Days of Prayer. It's on our, our website, ccskent.org slash prayer. And there you can find that. You can sign up for that. And what I'm doing is every, every day at 9, at noon, and at 3, I'm sending a little alert. It's the same thing. Each day has the same one. It's real simple. I didn't want to complicate it. And that when you get that alert, it doesn't matter to me if it's one minute or an hour. Because it doesn't matter to God either. But we, we will stop and just have our nation on our, on our minds and pray that God will. 1 Corinthians 7.14, you know it well, but let's look at that again. 2 Corinthians 7.14, it's right there, I can see it. <laughs> is it on there? There it is. And I want to just read this again to keep us understanding. We are in, I believe, a pivotal point as we are in many ways, but particularly as far as the election, our nation, the direction. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, this is God's people, us, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. In 2016, I just found this out, there were 60 million registered voters who call themselves evangelical Christians. Only 25 million voted. Now that's a travesty. Because righteousness exalts a nation, sin is reproach for any people. As the citizens of heaven, we have a God-given citizenship in this nation. And we have a voice for righteousness. And so when we vote, now you can get cynical about voting. I get it. I understand that. But that doesn't negate the fact that we've been given a privilege to vote. And if we, if we sort of put that off to the side somewhere, it'll start being put off to the side more and more and more. You got to do it. You got to vote. I believe it's our first voices in heaven in prayer, but we've been given God. God will hear us, forgive us, and heal us. That's what we're praying. I don't know about you. In fact, maybe I do. We look at what's going on and the things that are so at war with the things that God adores, and we need to be in prayer. And so I'm, you know, the, 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 the nine, noon, and three o'clock the book that I, I gave out, 40 of those, to, uh, he says in there, this book, it was not written for this particular thing, but it, it fits so well. He just said, I'm not saying we're going to do 40 days and then stop, but that 40 days will be a catalyst in your prayer life. And I talked to someone yesterday who said that's exactly what's happened. That's happened for me also. Just to stop 9, 3, and noon and pray, bow my head and pray to God, it really enhances and helps me to understand that when we pray, God hears. When we pray, God is pleased. And when we pray, God moves. He's looking for us to come to him and just say, Lord, would you? There's a quote that I heard again yesterday. It says, the only thing necessary for triumph, for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing, unquote. And that is a key. So um, again, I'm pleading with you, pray. I'm pleading with you, vote. And I'm pleading with you also to stand for the righteousness and the things that are going on. I will, I'll, I'll be vulnerable with you and honest with you. I have a hard time. I, I pray hardly, I pray hard to God to help me, to be the voice that he wants me to be 
to you on Sunday mornings. The other things, we all have spheres of influence. We all have things we can say. What we need is the wisdom of God to direct us in what we say, when we say it, how we say it. It's so critical. And as you know, I've shared it before, I am extremely burdened for our nation. And I, I tried to get rid of that thing, and it just won't go away. So I said, okay, then, Lord, if that's what's going on, let me not uh, sort of waver in the burden, but let me take it on as the Holy Spirit will help me and us to pray and to pray and to stand and to do these things. So I've already used up about 10 minutes of my time, so here we go. <laughs> uh, would you stand? And we, all, we like to stand in honoring God's word, and I think it's a good thing to do. We, God said he exalts his word above his name. So important. Every time we read it, every time we hear it, every time we memorize it, every time we look at it, it's God's word he's speaking to us. Do you believe that? I hope that you do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So this study this morning has been a battle. I'll be honest with you. It's two chapters because I think they go together. I'm not going to try and get through them. But the Lord keeps putting on scriptures and these things. Many directions. So I, I trust that the Holy Spirit has given me something for us this morning that we can take and feed our faith with the Word of God. So Genesis chapter 39, God with you. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now notice verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that, here it is again, the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. And Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now go to verse 21 of chapter 39. Again, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because, here it is again, the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The psalmist said, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall hold me, your right hand shall lead me and hold me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from me. There's nothing, Lord, no place no, where you are not. So we thank you for that. We, I pray, Lord, you'd encourage us again this morning through your word. You would convince us, rebuke us, exhort. Whatever we need, Lord, we're wide open. Our hearts are open to your word. I pray, Lord, we pray, those who are believers among us, for anyone that's in, the, in hearing this word this morning who doesn't know you, and they haven't experienced God with them in salvation, in security, in assurance, in future, in a hope. We pray now in Jesus' name that you would convict them by your Holy Spirit of sin because they don't believe in you. 
of righteousness because your righteousness can be imputed to us. Your perfect life who paid the price for our sin can be imputed to us and we can be right with you through faith and believing that you have paid the price and we can be forgiven, we can be reconciled, and we can be received by you not only now but for all eternity. So we love you, Lord. We pray your blessing over the things I prepared. Break them fresh and feed us. We're hungry. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So Joseph had a lot of reasons to question God with him. And I think that we could all say I have a lot of questions sometimes too. Joseph stands alongside Job as a man who trusted God in the most awful and adverse of circumstances. After all that Joseph went through, he come back to this legendary epitaph, Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, we have, yeah. But as for you, meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. The day came when Joseph met those who were wanting to kill him and sold. The day came when he could tell them finally, hey, you meant it for you, but God meant it for good. So this reality is sealed into the heart of Joseph. It goes way beyond any human ingenuity or worldly wisdom. It is the fruit of these things that God actually allowed in his life. He understood this, this, what he said in verse 20 there, not in spite of his circumstances, but because of them. And God has that, those kinds of days for us also. Well, we, we see it, we get it, we understand it. And those are profound moments. Now, there are many other examples in the Bible who, of people who live far above the adversity in their lives. There are people who walk with God, people who gained an eternal perspective, people who had their anchor, their, their, their anchor, their faith was anchored because they had a relationship with the living God. They knew the eternal God as their refuge. So let me give you the names of some of those in the Old Testament, this is before Jesus, about whom it is, it is stated, sometimes numer- about the same person or group many times, that God the Lord was with him with them, with her. Not only Joseph, but Joseph's, it says in, in, in Judges, his whole house, God was with his whole house. Abraham, Jacob, Judah, the Judges, Gideon, Samuel, King David, Dave, uh, King Saul, King Solomon, Jeroboam, Asa, Hezekiah, Phinehas, Jehoshaphat, Jeremiah, and that's just the beginning list where God himself says to him, I'm with you, I'm with you. Now, a huge encouragement to me is that God repeatedly remind his people, Israel, that he was with them, but not because of their wonderfulness, not <laughs> But in spite of their awfulness, he was with them because he loved them. He chose them. He redeemed them. He called them to himself. He revealed himself to them. Why? Because he loved them. 
And I want to nail this a little bit into our hearts again. God is with us. God chose us. God redeemed us. God died for us because he loves us. There's a song that was written in 1980 by uh, Reba McGuire. Some of you old hippie folks remember this song, but I love the verse. The children of Israel were fed by gathering manna in the wilderness through their doubting and wavering hearts and blaming you for all they got. You still cared enough to keep them from perishing. As Moses looked back on 40 years with God in the wilderness, with his people, and God and Moses had these discussions sometimes. Moses, hey, they're your people. And God said, no, they're your people. (laughs) I just want to go through a few scriptures here. Deuteronomy chapter 2. The Lord your God has blessed you. This is Moses looking back on the 40 years. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. Deuteronomy chapter 7. For you are a holy people, in spite of all their unholiness, God still, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the house, hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. I think it's good for us to look back at that moment in time when we realized God loves me and we were saved. He, he, right there. He's saying, this is what, this is what happened. Because I loved you. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. Again, remember, Moses looking back, hoping they've learned the lessons of the wilderness, which he's going to get into here a little bit. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Now, some of you aren't even 40 yet. This is over 40. This is longer than you've been alive. These lessons, these things that God took his people through because he loved them, because he redeemed them, because he called them his people. To humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. The Lord is the covenant relationship of God with his people. Your garments did not wear out, nor did you foot, your foot swell these 40 years, that you, should, that you should know in your heart that as a man chases his son, so the Lord your God chases you. Now, this is interesting because he's, he tells us a couple times. He says there, your garments didn't wear out and your foot didn't swell. God wasn't attacking them. God wasn't pulling the cord saying, okay, either you do this or I'm not going to feed you. I'm not going to clothe you. No, he chastened them, providing for them all the way. He was chasing their hearts in their relationship with him, to know what was in their hearts, that they would understand life is not just physical existence. God can take care of that, no problem. But what God wants to take care of is us in relationship with him. 
So Jeremiah, excuse me, Nehemiah looks back on the same 40 years after the 70 years of captivity. And this is what Nehemiah says. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt and worked great provocation. Remember that story? We'll get to it. Yet in your manifold mercy, we're going to talk a little bit about mercy next week, in two weeks. Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. Wow. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because of his faithfulness. The pillar, the, the pillar of the cloud did not depart from them day by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light in the way that they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years, look at 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. A whole history of God with them, all leading, listen, all leading to God himself dwelling among us. All where it's heading. So we read in Matthew chapter 1. The gospel, the good news is that God came to dwell among us. And we read this. And she will bring forth to Joseph, God's saying to Joseph, this is what's going to happen with Mary. She will bring forth a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came the first time. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet way back then, the Israel prophets. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear his son, capital S, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated, God with us. God with us. There's another song, I can't think of it right off, but it says, he says, could it be that this is, that we've seen God? Indeed. Jesus said, you have, you have seen, you've seen the Father. Jesus died on the cross and we would never have to question God's love for us. He redeemed us by his blood. He reconciled us through the cross. He promises through the gospel he'll never leave us or forsake us. He promises that by his power we cannot be snatched from his hand. He not only came to dwell among us, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. I just want to load this on a little bit for us as believers on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the fulfilling of all the promises that God said he's going to send the seed, the son, the Messiah. We look back on all of that and yet we still, for, for many different Maybe, maybe we'll call it excuses, but reasons. We go, is God with us? Is that true? Is that true? He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Joseph didn't see these things, but we do. He came the first time to seek and save the lost. He is coming the second time to rule and reign on the earth. He came the first time as a suffering servant. He is coming the second time as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I think it's at the door. He came the first time as to be a curse on the cross. He is coming the second time to put an end to the curse. I could list it out, but I want to read it in Revelation if you don't mind. Revelation. See, Joseph didn't have the end of the story. We've been given the end of the story. And, and we know this is true because 99% of it has already been fulfilled. This is like the last drop of God's love 
and fulfillment. Revelation chapter 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? And he said to me, Sir, you know. So he said to him, These are those who have come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes in white and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So I'm going to make a stand up and go, yeah. Revelation chapter 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, now notice this, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And, And God said, People said, amen. I want to just give that as a preamble as to what's coming and that God is with us. God is with you. Doesn't matter what adversity you're facing or I'm facing, God is with you. God is with me. Joseph had a lot of reasons to question that, but his faith sustained him. We learn from the life of Joseph what God with us looks like. But the problems, here's some of the things that I thought of my own life. Too often I'm making my judgments on incomplete information. The Bible is the complete information. But often I'm not basing my decisions, my thoughts, my thinking on that complete information. Too often I lose heart because I believe God's running out of time. Now that's a joke. He is the inventor or the creator of time. He's eternal. He looks out from the outside in. But often I'm thinking, oh, we're running out of time. Too often I'm closing the book before I finish the story. Too often I'm living as though this whole thing's coming to an end. No, 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 Kevin. (laughs) That's not what's happening. And my burden for our nation, that wants to creep in. Have we gone too far as a nation? Is it too late? I don't know, but let me tell you, God's never late. And God's going to complete his plan. My feelings don't really line up with that many times. How about yours? But I will tell you honestly, very honestly, Praying at 9, noon, and 3 has really helped me to stop for a moment and get my eyes back on God and ask him to do what only he can do. If my people will call on me, then I will forgive them. Then I will heal their land. God, you have to do that or it's not going to happen. 
My prayer is, Lord, would you be merciful? Would you have mercy on us? Would you hear our prayers? Because I read in the Old Testament, I read in the New Testament, when they prayed, God listened, and God moved. In fact, God brought them many times to a place where it was impossible for them, but Jesus said, with man it's impossible, with God, all things are possible. And I bow my head and say, Lord, would you please have mercy? And I can believe because it's not me or you or the president or vice president or the voting booths. It's God who desires to draw his people to repentance and faith in him so that he can move in our lives, in our nations, and heal and bring salvation and do the only the things that he can do. And our job, pray. Pray. Too many times we'll see this in Genesis 42. I live as though the end of the whole thing, that all things are against me. <laughs> I have to chuckle. How many times do you, all things are against me. And that's what Jacob was saying. All things are against me. Now they want Benjamin. Oh, all things are against me. And I'm wailing in my closet. When right around the corner, Jacob's mind is going to be blown by the faithfulness and goodness and love of God. Through all the adversity, all of it, God was with them and God was working and God was moving. And so as we consider these chapters from the life of Joseph, they are vivid narratives written that hardly need commentary. So I want to offer three thoughts for you to ponder. God with you. God with you. Here they are. He's with you, a servant and steward, to be a blessing. In all your adversities, in all my adversity, God is with me, what? To be a servant and a steward, to be a blessing. Now, I need that adjustment all the time. To get out of the center and realize I got a master who I humble myself to serve, and he's given me responsibilities to be a blessing wherever I am, whether it's in Egypt, in prison, or wherever. Secondly, in times of temptation, to overcome sin. That's why God is with us, by the Holy Spirit. When I'm tempted, and you will be tempted, and I am tempted, and you are tempted. I know that. The Bible, well, you know that too. I don't have to give you know, apologetics on temptation. We're masters at, at Giving into it, that's the problem. But temptations are going to come. And, and when we're tempted, let no one say he's tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and what? Enticed. And then you bring those two together and they're conceived. And when they're conceived, it's sin and death. That's temptation. Temptation itself is not sin. But when I, when I marry them, when, I, when they're conceived, my desires and the temptation, it leads to death and sin. And you know well, as I do also. So God is with you in times of temptation to overcome sin. To get out of there, as we'll see with Joseph. Now here's a tough one. We'll look at this in our next study. He's with you, with me, when falsely accused to show mercy. Oh, that is the last thing I want to do when it comes to being falsely accused. Call this and call that. And yet we'll see with Joseph, in the false accusation against him, which were totally false, there was no, no merit to them, he was merciful to Joseph, and Joseph was extremely merciful to those that he was in prison with. Amazing 
as, as I said, Jesus is all over this story, the pictures of our Savior. So God with you in verse, a servant and steward to be a blessing. Notice, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, verse 1, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now, I want you to notice in Genesis 45, again, we're going a little ahead, but notice, God sent him down there. His brothers sold him. You sold me, God sent me. You sold me, God sent me. You did this, God was doing this. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, but God sent me before you to preserve life. What a perspective. Verse 7, and God sent me before you to save your lives by great deliverance. Verse 8, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh. Look what God did. And Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. You see, God sent him down there to put him right there. And it's the same thing in your life and my life. However we wind up where we're at, we have to understand the hand of God, the providence of God, his work in our lives. Is Somebody might have sold us there, but God sent us there. And he's given us spheres of influence and places where he's put us that we might know him and seek him. Acts chapter 7, I think it is, where it says that. He pre-appointed, God put us there because that's where he wanted us. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. God sent him, listen, God sent him there to be successful. Wow. God wants us to be successful, but we got to understand how God values success, not ourselves. God's success is obedience to him, faithfulness to him, doing what he's called us to do. That's success. And the world may look at that and say, well, you could get a lot richer than that. You could have a lot more power than that. You could be serving a lot more other, other places. God sent Joseph there to be successful. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper. Listen, this is interesting. God sent him there to be seen. God sent him there to be seen. To see in his life what God was doing. And that's the same thing. The applications here are right down the line. It's the same thing. God sent us there to be successful. God sent us to be seen as him prospering our lives. They see the Lord in our lives. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Interesting. He served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the fields. So he left all that he had in Joseph's hand under his authority, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. So every time he goes to have a meal, oh, yeah, okay. God sent him there to serve. I hardly need to repeat it, but it's the same reason God sent us wherever we are. Why he put us where he put us. It's to serve, not be served. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for all. We need these perspectives, dear brothers and sisters in the Lord. We need the perspective. Back to the, let's go back to the drawing board. God put us here to be successful, to be seen as, be, where people can see his blessings in our lives. How do, how do they see that? 
We serve. We serve them. God sent them to oversee or to steward or to have authority in the things that were not his. God sent him there to be a blessing. That's what that all wraps up as. In our Wednesday study in 1 Corinthians, been fantastic. We're doing 1 Corinthians, and Lowell, I see Lowell and Greg here, it's been so good. Chapters 3 and 4 were just eye-opening for me. As Paul's addressing, well, I say I'm of Cephas, and I'm of this guy, and I'm of that guy, and I'm of this guy. And Paul is trying to bring them back to understand, hey, why are you doing that? Why are you, why are you following a man? Follow God. And then he says in chapter 4, verse 1, let a man consider us. Don't put us on a pedestal. You're setting us up to fail. Let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now, the word there in the New Testament for servants is an under rower. Submitted to a master. The steward is an overseer responsible to the master for his stuff, his goods. So what does it look like? It looks like, number one, I'm submitted to Christ. I serve him. And then he has given to me responsibility in many ways for other people's lives, but then also for all the things that he's given me in my life. I need to be steward, and they're not mine. What do you have but that you receive? They're all God's. And we need, again, I'm saying this because I'm saying this to myself. I need that perspective renewed in my mind. None of these things are mine. Not only that, none of these things are going to make me happy. None of these things are going to fulfill my life. It's when I understand that I serve God. I'm submitted to God. I'm consecrated to God. Then these things become meaningful as means of God giving me responsibilities for which and through which I grow. I learn. I understand his heart. And the the amazing thing is he does all these things in me, and then when I stand before him, he rewards me for what he did. But I have to understand I'm a servant and I'm a steward. Acts chapter 28, what does it look like? Therefore, take heed to yourselves, to the leaders of the church. Take heed to yourselves, to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to shepherd the church of God. God is looking for shepherds for his people. They care for the sheep, care for the flock. They're not fleecing the flock. They're not in it for themselves. That's a servant and a steward. First Peter, he says the same thing. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers. There they are. Serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And how many marks have been made against the church by those who would be in it for money. Be in it for themselves. Be in it for the platform. Be in it for the position. God's saying, hold on a second. Peter says, hold on a second. You shepherd the flock of God. You serve them as overseers. You do that willingly, not dishonestly, not for gain, nor, verse 3, as lords, as being lords over those entrusted to you. God's the one who's over us, and God's given them to us that we direct them back to he to whom they, he who they need to, loves them, but be example of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, I think it's soon. 
When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Servant, steward. Titus, a bishop must be blameless. This is leadership over God's people. A bishop must be blameless, a steward of God. Not self-willed. This is what it looks like, brothers and sisters in the Lord, and the responsibilities God's given to us as stewards. Not in, in people's lives, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy, not, not, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, here's one, self-controlled, holding fast a faithful word which he has been, as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who come. What do people need? They need sound doctrine. They need to hear the word of God. They need to see that living lived out in the reality of humility and serving and understanding, hey, I'm just an overseer under God. Now, notice this verse 6. He left all that he had in Joseph's hand, did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate, and Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Handsome in form and appearance. Joseph, because of this, is probably the reason he ever wound up in Potiphar's house, how he looked. Now, Moses, Saul, David, Daniel were all leaders called by God who had good looks. (laughs) What happened to me? But remember this, 1 Samuel 16, 7, you know it well, but the Lord said to Samuel, as he's looking at the, who's the next king? Oh, he must be the guy, he must be the guy, he must be the guy. And God said, none of them. And then he said this, the Lord said to him, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Are you not, some of you are saying that, are you not thankful for that? (laughs) Now, on the other hand, Paul the Apostle, it seems, was rather ugly. So be encouraged. (laughs) The preacher in Ecclesiastes closes his book by describing old age. Eyes going dim, teeth the grinders missing in action. Every conversation has a, what'd you say? <laughs> every, mis, every muscle misbehaves and every movement hurts. He concludes, listen, he concludes with these verses. Solomon, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. Beauty is vain. Why? Because it's passing. <laughs> I just was thinking, you know, you ever see on the, on the internet, they have, they'll have something on the bottom that says something like, you know, you won't believe how this person looks right now. These actresses and actors. And they show them when they were like in their prime, you know, whoa. And they show them now, you go, whoa. <laughs> it's the same whoa, it's just a little different whoa. <laughs> Oh, man. Listen, God will bring every work 
doesn't matter what you look like. It's how you're living. It's how I'm living my life. But that beauty is what God sees. And not only that, it's the beauty that you begin to see in people's lives when you get past it yourself. When you understand yourself that there's so much more. It's so beautiful about people than skin and hair and makeup. Peter said, don't let your, outward, don't let your, adorn, your, your adorning be only outward. For God looks at that pure and precious heart, gentle and quietness. In every secret thing, whatever good or evil. Now, what I want to move on to is number two here. How are we doing? That Joseph's handsome and former appearance were also a big reason for some powerful temptations. So God is with you in times of temptation. He is. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait on this one. Are you okay with that? I would like us just to understand again. Think again on these things that we've just been talking about. God is with you, a servant and steward to be a blessing. You know, there's a song that's been going on in my mind. I, I actually feel like the Holy Spirit's kind of singing it to me lately. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. I asked just yesterday, I said, Sophia, could you do that? And so, would you come out, worship team? And she actually, they put it together this morning, so we're going to sing that. But this, is be, this has been the song of the Holy Spirit in my heart. You know, uh, you ever get a song going on in your mind? You know, what, that's what I love about Sunday mornings. Many times a song you leave with, it just sort of stays with you. I'd like you to stop a moment. This is a total side note. <laughs> and just realize that that's the Holy Spirit singing to you. That's God putting a song in your heart, songs in the night. And just to, can we just take this first this first thing that I talked about, a servant and steward to be a blessing. May God refocus us again. He is with us. We know the end of the story. We know what's coming. And now he's given us this responsibility as stewards, as those that have these spheres of influence, to be a blessing. And I will tell you honestly, and I need to repent of this. In fact, I find myself repenting a lot these days when I realize my attitude is so different than that. That I'm under a master who's saying to me, I want you to go be a blessing. I want you to look at people in your life and realize, don't parade yourself. Lift them. Help them. There's a lot of things I could, I could say. So can we do that tonight? And, and again, thank you. Can we give it up? Thank you for this song. Okay. Thank you. Why don't you stand? Let's close in, in this song.